This episode is sponsored by Paleo Valley. Paleo Valley's meat sticks have been a lifesaver during this hot summer. Since they're shelf stable, I always have three Paleo Valley meat sticks in my bag at all times. It's also been perfect for my boys' lunch boxes. I love Paleo Valley's grass finished beef sticks and pasture raised turkey sticks because they support US family farmers that focus on regenerative agriculture. These meat sticks are from animals that have never been fed grains, soy, corn, or GMOs and have never been given antibiotics. The spices in these meat sticks are also 100% organic. The sticks come in five different flavors, and my favorite is the original beef stick, and my boys love the teriyaki beef sticks and the original pasture raised turkey stick. Paleo Valley's meat sticks are a perfect snack and, frankly, a great value without skimping on quality. Each stick is about $2 with our discount code, and it comes in a 10 pack bag. Make sure to support this podcast and head over to paleovalley.comslash CATG and use code CATG to get 15% off your first order. Thanks for listening and supporting the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. Laura and I are just going to be talking really candid. This is what this podcast is all about. It's one thing to say, I want to eat something else that's not meat. It's a whole other thing to say, you need to eat something else that's not meat. If you notice that you're jumping from diet to diet, at a certain point, you have to wonder the only common denominator is me. Get outside, go for a walk,、yeah. get some vitamin D, breathe some fresh air, and stay happy and healthy and, and take care of yourselves. Let's just have some real talk. <laughs> Welcome to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. Welcome back to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. My name is Laura Spath, and I am joined by my friend and co host, Judy Cho.、Uh, Judy, I saw you had a podcast with Joanne come out this week where you guys talked about pregnancy, which actually is always one of those topics that comes up like carnivore and pregnancy, and should I stay strict carnivore? Can I stay strict carnivore when I'm pregnant? I always refer people back to that quick QA episode that you and I did previously, but I'm excited to hear more about that whole conversation that you guys had because I think you do a great job going in depth about it. I think a few podcast episodes ago, I mentioned that one of my friends was pregnant. So it's Joanne Ozug who has a podcast, The Road to Carnivore. And, you know, after I interviewed her on my Nutrition with Judy channel, we've just become friends behind the scenes. And she told me she was pregnant. And I think she was struggling staying. Carnivore because she had so many healing benefits from carnivore. And then all of a sudden, she was having really crazy meat aversions and it really put her down. And then I just said, you know what? Come to think of it, I don't know if I know anyone that's been strict carnivore while they're pregnant. And I was not ever pregnant during carnivore. So I just don't have an N equals one story. And then I think about all the people over the years that have reached out to me saying, I'm having meat aversions. I can't really stay carnivore. And everybody I've interviewed has always added carbs. I interviewed this one carnivore mama. She's no longer public, I think, with her content. I've never released her video, but she even told me that she would have to drink like two gallons of raw milk, which has a lot of carbohydrates,、um, in order to stay carnivore. And I never thought about well, it. We, Go ahead. We talked about in our episode in the kind of the concept you had. Brought up was the fact that your body has to become insulin resistant、yes. in order to grow a baby.、Uh, and I remember actually at the low carb 
conference, them talking about that as well. There's like two main times in your life when you need to be insulin resistant. And that's when you're going through puberty because you're trying to gain a tremendous amount of weight very quickly. And also if you are pregnant, because again, your body needs to gain weight quickly in order to grow this baby. Yeah. So that's exactly what she brought up in the podcast. So I think what happened was first she was hard on herself. I've healed so much on carnivore. Why can't I just stay carnivore for a pregnancy? We talked about it. I said, maybe it has something to do with insulin. And then I think she went down her own rabbit hole of research. And in her podcast, it's a short one. It's really good. She shares what she's found. And one of them, she does touch upon that insulin resistance. The point of insulin resistance is so that you grow and you grow fast. And maybe during carnivore or during pregnancy, when you're trying to grow a fetus, your body wants to crave other like quick energy. And then she talks about also that it could just be a protective mechanism against meat. So I will have her, I don't want to share her whole podcast. I highly recommend just listening to it. And then I just was curious from there of, we do hear random stories on the internet about people saying I was pregnant or I was carnivore during my whole pregnancy. And I just wanted to know. So I put up a poll and not a single person came back to me. It's so nice to hear this because I've been hard on myself. I thought once I have a baby, I'm going to have the best baby by being carnivore the whole time. And it's been nearly impossible. I have to mask the meat with ketchup or other things. And I think if we just break these dogmas of maybe we aren't meant to be full carnivore during pregnancy, and maybe that's okay. If you can do it, great. But I also don't think you should think of yourself as a bad mom or you're not strong enough or you're not doing what's best for your fetus or the baby because that level of stress also releases cortisol. And there's studies that show that your baby feels your stress. And I think it just at the end of the day, whatever you hear on the internet, it just may not be true. And I have not, I have not found a single person that I have directly talked to or worked with that has said, I have been able to be carnivore my whole pregnancy. And so if I'm sharing that for N equals many, then maybe it's not possible. And if it is great, if it isn't, just don't be so hard on yourself. And that was my whole message. Yeah. I think you, somebody had messaged, I read in your Instagram stories that you were sharing that somebody said, like, even in the Facebook group for pregnant and carnivore women, that there's nobody in that entire Facebook group. Right. That's a like 4, four pregnant. Yeah. 4,000 women who are pregnant and nursing carnivores that none of them have been able to stay strict carnivore the entire time. Yeah. So Joanne in her podcast mentions that she just wanted answers because she heard the glorious stories of people being pregnant on carnivore and the whole way through it. And so she literally read through every single pregnancy, the posts that are shared on that Facebook group of, were you able to stay strict? And she said, there's not a single one. I know that's not like the main topic we have today. We just, I think it's important to bring up. And like you said too, just to give people this sense that they're not a failure, that there isn't this like, you know, I I feel that with so many different things. I've been talking about that a lot in locals lately of just because you can't hit some certain challenge or um, some certain idea that somebody else has labeled and defined as the perfect thing doesn't mean that you're a failure. And in reality, like you have to kind of take that pressure off of yourself and figure out what is going to work for you and what's best for you. And more than anything, what can you actually stick to long-term? Right. Um, because I think that sense of failure, like you mentioned, just causes way more stress than anything else. Like I feel that way with so many of the challenges that people put out there in general, not even just obviously carnivore and pregnancy. It's not just about what happens in the fetus. You also, 
once they're one, once they're born, you also want to make sure that they are getting the best nutrition. It's a lifelong journey. So even if, I mean, my kids were both plant-based pregnancies and thank God they're relatively healthy, but I, it's a lifelong journey that they, I hope that they eat well. And it is not just what happened while you were pregnant. So I just, I just feel that there's so much pressure on moms. And when you're pregnant, there's even excess hormones and emotions. And I just feel that when we start saying, because I'm having this chocolate, I'm a bad mom, or I'm not doing what's best for my baby. How do you really know that? You know what I mean? Maybe, maybe the chocolate's just going to you. I mean, I think we need to have more grace. I think that makes for a happier baby. And I really think that's so important than trying to be perfect. And just because you eat carnivore, the whole pregnancy does not guarantee that your kid will be healthy for the rest of their lives. Yeah. And you know what that even translates. I mean, there's a Facebook post that I had something I posted on Facebook, like when I was pregnant with Nathaniel, I was eating a pint of Ben and Jerry's every day. And like my favorite brand or what flavor was a limited edition flavor. And I posted some sad post on Facebook about like, Oh, how am I supposed to get through the rest of my pregnancy? Cause they're discontinuing this flavor and whatever. <laughs> anyway, but I agree. I think the the baby takes the good first. And unfortunately, like I was un- left unhealthier, but right, they're healthier. Right. But like you mentioned, as we go through the rest of their lives with the kids, it's about setting them up with good, healthy habits for yes. success long-term. And it's also why, speaking for you and for me, why you and I choose not to have our kids be 100% strict carnivore all, all the time. Because I don't think personally that that is setting them up for success of a realistic Agreed. long-term lifestyle. And then I think it's not equipping them with the tools of understanding how food makes them feel, what foods they need to grow and be healthy and mentally, how things react to them and physically and kind of all these things. It's why you and I choose not to have our kids be strict carnivore 100% of the time. Yeah. And it makes me think if so, if we know, like you just said, insulin resistance happens during two stages of your life, maybe kids need a little bit more insulin resistance to help them grow during that period. It just made me start thinking about that. And so I'm okay with my kids eating a little bit of carbs. My biggest fear, I know I say this all the time, is that if I were to make both of my kids strict carnivore, they go off to college or in high school, and then there's beer and pizza and they're their, their eyes open. It's, you know, like the Eve gets the apple. It's like, Oh my gosh, what is this food? I've never tasted. And then they go crazy. And I just don't want them to experience that. And coming from a place of an eating disorder, I think it's smarter to have them experience little things along the way. And that ultimately they're making the decision to eat healthier as they get older. Yeah. The other day at jujitsu, they had somebody had a birthday and like brought cookies and like they had the cookie and they brought it home and they Mm -hmm. ate it after their protein or whatever. But then the next day they went back and there was leftover cookies and Penelope was like, I would, let's get some cookie. And I was like, Penelope, you just had a cookie yesterday, the same cookie. You literally just ate that exact same thing yesterday. Like, I mean, obviously we had it in a good conversation. It was like, do you need this today? Like, do we think we need the same cookie two days in a row? And she was like, yeah, okay. I just had it. Like, it's fine. And so then she went and trained and then we went home and they had protein for dinner. And so it's just, all I want to do is hopefully equip them with the tools of saying like, this was a fun treat. I just had a treat yesterday. Like I don't need to be doing this type of thing every day. I don't need dessert after every meal and after every day all the time for no reason. As much as my kids are educated on nutrition, the school had a sleepover at an aquarium. I didn't let them sleep over, but 
they went in the morning and it was all junky carbs. So literally they had chocolate milk, regular milk, cereal, uh, muffins, and that's it. And so I asked the kids, please just pick like one junky food. And I said, and no juice. So then they came back um, at the end of the school day and I said, hey, did you guys have juice? And they're like, no, we had no juice. And then they they told me what else was there. And I said, so did you have the chocolate milk? And both of them went silent. (laughs) And then I said, you had the chocolate milk? And they're like, that's not juice. And but so even with that, right, they totally rationalized it, but they knew it wasn't ideal. But that's like, that's the progression they need to go through and learn. Right. And they had smaller bits of the muffins, but they didn't go crazy. So what would they have done if they were full carnivores? Would they have just sat there while all of their friends are eating? That's what I don't want them to experience. Yeah, it's definitely a weird thing to navigate in this world. And I don't know yeah, what the right thing to, you and I talk about this all the time. I don't know what the right thing to do is. And we're both just trying to do what's best, you know? Right, right. Everybody is trying to do what's best for their kids. Right. Okay, so today I really wanted to bring up this conversation about acceptance, um, status quo. That's what I think it was labeled when I was growing up. It was really status quo. And then this sort of acceptance for everything and being careful with the words we use and what we say because the world is highly sensitive now that anything and everything you say is offensive. I started going down this rabbit hole because every time or once in a while on my YouTube channel when I say, hey guys, and then I say uh. my intro, people say, I'm not a guy. And you know the interview we did of the four of us, the four carnivore women? So yeah. in that interview, I guess I kept saying, hey, guys, to all of you, and none of you are guys. And so that was when I first started seeing it. So I think that was two years ago, which is so crazy. But I, you know what? I start all my videos with, hey, guys, welcome back. Like, my name's Laura. <laughs> so you've never gotten the, we're not guys, I'm a girl, or I'm a female? I'm sure. I don't read comments, so I don't <laughs> okay. know. It's easier. But I'm sure, but you're right. No, it's true. I'm sure you're right. Some women have been offended, and I refuse to change I, I did not even realize that when I say guys, it's a masculine thought. And I grew up in Los Angeles and we all call everyone guys. So it just made me think of it then. And I refuse to change just because I'm so rebellious in that way. If someone tells me I have to change something, I will even more so never change it. <laughs> As a side note. But um, and then I ran into this Stanford. So Stanford released this, and I'll put it in the show notes, but the Elimination of Harmful Language Initiatives. And if you look in there, there are so many words you cannot say because it may offend a certain population of people. And it's literally runs the gamut of everything. And it almost is you have to carry that around to be able to basically say what you can say to somebody without offending them. And obviously, guys would be on that as well. And It's just getting to a point where I feel that so many people are so scared of saying something because they will offend someone. So it's just better to shut your mouth. And I think it's such a dangerous place to be. And I just, I just kind of wanted to talk about it. What's interesting is the, the goalpost or the words that are allowed to be used is constantly changing, right? The acceptable words in society, whether it's for, I mean, for, for anything that you're talking about, um, especially cultural topics, those acceptable words are constantly changing. And I truly believe like it's done on a bigger sense to constantly be curating and and understanding like who's in the in-group, who's allowed, like, if, are you up to date? It's kind of like how, you know, kids use different slang and lingo and like, you're, you know, old because you're using 
words like groovy and cool dude and and guys when in reality all the young kids are not saying that anymore but the same thing is done in a cultural sense with different terms that represent um you know gender and race and ethnicity and status and all these different things all the words that are used to describe those are constantly changing to to make sure that you're still acceptable right or it's right. to to make sure who's so you can tell who's in the in group and who's not yeah. Yeah. So uh, the kids the other day, they kept saying they learned the word toxic and they're like, oh my gosh, that's so toxic. And I, I literally made them look at the word and I say, look at the word toxic. Was that behavior truly toxic? Can you please stop saying that it's, you know, it's, it's just one of those words. And so I get a part of it. It's part of the cool lingo. It's just the way that we are using words in mainstream is can be dangerous because when we say if you don't say these words or you don't act this way, you are not part of the inclusivity community. And so you think, well, I don't want to seem dogmatic or I don't want to seem ignorant. So I will or hateful or, or hateful. I don't want to seem hateful yes. in any way. I think that's a big one, right? It's like use these words or you are deemed hateful. Right. So but think of that logic in itself. So we are inclusive and we are a community of inclusivity. But actually, if you don't follow these certain belief systems or label certain things or, you know, on your your profiles, you don't have the gender stuff, you're not inclusive. So therefore, you're canceled. So how is that really inclusivity? If you're canceling me because I don't share or it's not even sharing the opinion, but doing the things publicly that everyone else is saying is status quo now, then you are canceled because you said something wrong or you offended somebody or you use the wrong words. And so now we are deeming you canceled. And one of the examples I can give you is as much as I think Lion, as much as I think Liver King, I always say Lion King whenever I bring up his name. <laughs> but as much as Liver King, what he did was unethical. And if his product is good, his product is good. And I saw a Facebook post from um, a, one of the NTA groups. And somebody said, oh my gosh, I accidentally bought his product when he's canceled. What should I do about the product? And it, and then I saw the messages and some people said, you can always return it. But there, most of the people were saying, if you like the product or you need the product, then just use it. And it just seems like an obvious response, right? Of who cares? Like, just because somebody's canceled does not mean, I get it. You don't want to support certain people, but it's just, if you already have the product, what's the big deal? It's just, I just find it so crazy that just because they're canceled, therefore you can't use their product. But it's an interesting, like who's doing the canceling, right? right. And who's the one that has the outrage? I, I talk about this all the time, but like outrage is a commodity these days. Yes. And like, it, you know, if you get people outraged, then you get clicks and you get attention. And I think you can, the minute that you come up with this food is killing you, or this is happening, or this person is toxic, or I'm just going to use that <laughs> word now because I know uh, <laughs> what you think of it. But like, you're the one getting this outrage, then people are going to share your content. People are going to click on your stuff. People are going to all rally together, right? I truly believe nothing brings people together like a common enemy. And so if you all can rally against something or someone, then all of a sudden this small group of people has extreme power because right. they are the ones that are dictating the rules of society. 
But how is that inclusivity? Like, that's the gap that I have, right? It's, so I totally agree with you. And it's just, I think this is the stuff where people don't take that extra step to process and think about these things. And so they're already curating how the dictionary is going to look or our future dictionary and what is good and what is wrong. And then they do that even with, and I'm not sharing my stance with this topic about abortion, but even with abortion, but if you are for it, it's not abortion or um, it's women's rights or pro-choice. It's, it's just these words that, again, it's changing the perception. So, so you're against abortion. Oh my gosh. So you're against women's rights. You're against pro-choice. You, do you see the, the wording right. and the way that it's such a psychological warfare? And again, I'm not saying I'm for or against it. I'm just saying the wordings we use. Again, is this really inclusivity or is it just inclusivity based on this whole whatever fits this brand of inclusivity? Yeah, I follow a lot of, um, I listen to a lot of like comedy podcasts or comedians and all that kind of stuff. And they're just, they were talking a lot. I listened to a podcast the other day um, and they were kind of recalling back to what happened in like 2016 and even up through 2020 when the rules around comedy changed. Like the minute, I'm hesitant even to say this name because obviously then everybody thinks that you feel a certain way about it and I don't, but when Trump was elected, then all of comedy changed, right? And in 2020, when all of the controversy was happening, the rules of comedy changed. Like what you were allowed to talk about and not allowed to talk about and who got canceled and what got canceled. You told a joke. And then some of these comedians, like their intention is to be offensive. Like they're offensive comedians, but then they're getting canceled over um, certain jokes that they're telling. And so the, the, conversation came up because the two comedians were discussing like do you think trump's gonna get elected again and one of them was like i hope so because that's good content like because it's a really fun to joke about it and the other one said no i hope not because we weren't not allowed to joke about things then if he gets elected again we're gonna swing all the way back into when you can't joke about anything without getting canceled again i think this trend started or the not even a trend the requirement to say something from influencers or mm-hmm. political people or just like it this it got to a point before that i think before 2020 it was if you say something that's wrong you could get canceled right. but starting in 2020 it was if you don't say anything at all you can get canceled, right? 2020 is when the whole black square on your Instagram thing posted, or even recently, unfortunately, there was this unbelievably tragic event that happened in Nashville, right? Another school shooting. And I didn't post anything on Instagram that day. You can't, because if you say something, then people are going to get upset. If you say something related to it, people are going to get upset. If you say something unrelated to it at all, if I just went through and didn't acknowledge it, then people are going to get upset. It's kind of one of those things of like, Whenever there is tragedy that is happening, people don't want to hear what you actually think. They want to hear their own opinions coming out of your mouth. Right, right. And if you are not sharing their opinions exactly, people want to live in this echo chamber. And I feel like even relating this to carnivore sometimes, like, Sometimes carnivores try so hard to stay in this echo chamber with themselves and say like, you can't have that. That's spices. You can't have that. That's carnivore. And like, they're trying so hard to stay and I can't hear or see any content that's unrelated to what I'm doing. Right? Like people post something on 
world carnivore tribe and there's some fruit on it or there's some green stuff and they're like, that's not carnivore. How dare you post a dessert? This is why I never post stuff that my kids have that's not carnivore foods or keto foods because people be like, I'm seeing your kids. They ate a cookie one time. I'm triggered and I'm good. like, right. it's affecting me. It's affecting me. I don't know. I went on a really weird uh, arc with that last conversation, but it's like, do you not go to the grocery store? Like you're living in your life where you can't scroll through Instagram and accidentally see a kid eating a cookie because that's going to send you on a spiral. Like it can happen. Maybe that's real for you. And I'm not trying to criticize the people who feel that way. What I'm saying though, is why are you on Instagram? Like, how do you go to the grocery store? How do you watch normal TV? Like, how are you living? And I, this kind of circles back to where I started because I'm all over the place. You're not. How do you live your life? when everything is so upsetting to you. Right. And this even relates back to the pregnancy. Like you can't live your life in this heightened state of outrage and like anger all the time. It is not healthy. No, I totally agree. So, so many thoughts. One, um, I agreed if I share, so, you know, there was a period where I was sharing anti-fruit stuff on carnivore. And so then I would share a lunchbox of my kids with fruit and they're like, Oh, you finally switched over. And it's like, no, I really didn't. It's just, I know it's just, I can't even share fruit, but we are more than just like one dimensional human beings. Like we can have right. a thought that doesn't mean that I hate fruit for everybody. Again, it's context. But in, in terms of the anger, I feel like the bigger picture, and this is where it gets kind of conspiracy theory, but call it what you want. But I have to wonder the people that are creating, so the Stanford's that are creating the terminology all of these things are creating rage, right? All of these are creating anger. And like you said, if there was a podcast I was listening to that said during the Civil War, when they split the communities into two groups, it's still two large groups. So then they can fight each other. So in modern day, if you try to do it with just two groups of maybe it's the Republicans and the Democrats, it it can be a fight that one group will win. But these higher ups, they don't really want the human, the the average person to win. So the best way to do it is just cause many chaotic groups, right? right? And so since I'm an Asian, I can talk about this with hopefully not offending anyone. But I will talk about the, you know, Asian, I don't know. Wait, what, what you're was the Asian? Asian? <laughs> I know. What was the Asian uh, thing called? It wasn't Stop Asian. Asian hate. Yes. So it's just, I'm going to make the Asian community mad about their the Asian strife, the Black community angry at the blacks. And by the way, if you guys look into Black Lives Matter, that um, and I will talk about our organization, a lot of their money went missing, by the way. So I would highly recommend people look into that. And people have companies and corporations have spent millions and millions of dollars and their money went missing. And I'll bring it up since I'm the Asian and the minority. So I'll totally bring it up. <laughs> but if you think about it from a, if the world I don't know, the World Economic Forum or all these people that are making us or recommending that we eat crickets, if they also make us all hate your enemy, but in disparate groups, right? So it's not just one group versus another. It's five different groups. If we're all mad at each other, they can take over the the meat that we're needing to eat or and then instead interject us with crickets. And it's I think of this as a lot of it as noise, right? Like our neighbor is not trying to kill us. Our neighbor is not so against us, but they make it seem or in the news or as even on, on social media, um, all social media, we do things to feed the algorithm, but then that's where creativity gets lost. And we start seeing the same message. So since we're seeing the same message while it's feeding the algorithm, 
um, we believe it's true because all influencers are creating the same content. And it's not because they believe it. It's because what feeds the algorithm to make them more popular. And if people can understand that this is what's really going on, it's not that um, that stop Asian hate um, or or black lives don't matter. It's not any of that. It's it's really like we all love our neighbors. But when we cause all of this chaos we don't trust anyone. We're naturally, we wake up and we're angry. And so when we see a word, like, let's say I say, hey, guys, I'm not open enough or I'm against status quo now. And so it's you have every right to get mad at Judy. And it's it's this pervasive thing of like everything is offensive now. And so the average person gets so scared of sharing anything. But that is what's going to kill our society when we cannot tell somebody, hey, you're struggling with obesity And that is not a genetic thing. You're actually sick because of the way that you're living your lifestyle and having your diet. That is actually making you sick. And instead, I can't say something because I may offend you and healthy shame somebody. Right. Or you're healthy at any size. But if you can't say anything, then you're leaving that person as is. But not even say, not even say anything to that person. It's not like you're going to tell that specific person, like you're fat and unhealthy. You just, it's, you're not even in some places allowed to say, if you are fat, then you are unhealthy. Like the healthy at any size doesn't exist. If you are obese, you are less healthy than someone who is at a healthy weight, like a thinner weight. And I'm not saying thinnest is best, but I'm just saying it is a scientific fact that you cannot be healthy long-term and be obese. Think about it. Do you know any super fat 70-year-olds? They don't exist. They are all dead. And so you're not allowed to say that. Again, I'm not saying we should just be telling people that they're fat individually, but you're not allowed to have that bigger conversation of of the fact that you are unhealthy if you're obese. Yeah, and and I'm allowed to say that because I was a fat person. (laughs) (laughs) No, and I think this is, and this is the whole reason I wanted to bring this up when we become okay with status quo, or we become okay where we're accepting of everything, and if that means that I may say something that's incorrect, so I just better close my mouth, I think that's the goal of this, of whoever is trying to take over the world kind of thing. But if we just accept status quo, and status quo is that most people are struggling with obesity, most people are diabetic, metabolically unwell, depressed on medications, and suicidal, if that is status quo, then I'm not okay with it. If you follow the narrative right now, it is that you should be okay with it. I I talk to my clients and so many people in their 20s are on anti-anxiety meds. It's normal. Like embrace it, right? Mental health is something we should openly talk about if we're struggling with depression. I agree with that. But if you're also debilitating yourself from trying to find ways to support your depression, then that's not okay. More research is coming out lately about depression being inflammation, So maybe we work on changing the diet, right? It's not just the answer of taking a pill because oftentimes that pill doesn't work. Then you jump onto a different pill. And eventually these people that are not supported and given a different opinion will start thinking something's broken with me. I don't want to live this life anymore. No antidepressants work on me. No pill is working. I'm fat and unhealthy and food is my addiction. And I might as well just not live anymore. And a lot of these people will then consider suicide as an option. And what- well, if you live in Canada, the government will do it for you. Oh, it's starting to happen in more places in Canada, which is crazy in itself too. Where I wrap this around is half of our habits in a day is just the habits we do every single day. So we are an autopilot. And so when we are sick and unwell, 
whether it's because we're suffering from obesity, whether we're suffering from depression, we're probably doing the same things that are exacerbating those illnesses and we don't even know it. If we were to see what is reality and what it is, like call a spade a spade, and we say maybe the fact that you're eating Cheetos and playing video games all day and just sitting in front of your TV and scrolling and seeing how everyone else lives their best lives and you're just there, maybe that's contributing to your depression. If we were to just say maybe you can go out and do these things that will improve your health instead of accepting that, oh, you're you're canceled because you're saying that depression is something that we should not accept. I think if we were to challenge a lot of the things that are going on, maybe people can fight for better, right? So if you accept your current state and say, maybe these habits I live every day that are repetitive and we don't even know it, and even the thoughts, right? Remember, we talked about how a lot of the thoughts are repetitive and a lot of them are negative. If we can challenge what we see in the mirror of what we are today, then we can fight for a better tomorrow. We can fight for a better life in the future. And when we accept status quo, we diminish that and we remove that power from people. And I don't think people see that danger in all of the status quo and acceptance. Yeah, I think I truly believe if you are what, and maybe this gets into like woo woo of like, you know, um, like what's the old book, like the secret where you believe something and you've willed it or, but I truly believe though, that like, if you think, if you're looking for something, you will find it. As simple as like, if you're looking at a friend and you're thinking that they're blowing you off, well, then something happened in their life and they get busy and then they reschedule and you're like, oh my gosh, this person's blowing me off. I can't, but you're looking at your spouse and thinking that they're being shady. Well, then everything that they do, they take their phone to the bathroom. They're being shady. They go walk, they smile at you. They don't like whatever they do, you are going to read into it that they're being shady. And the same thing, if you are looking to be offended, if you truly believe that you are, um, a victim in a situation and you are saying there's nothing I can do to regain my health. There is nothing I can do to improve my life. There is nothing I can, that's ever going to work for me to lose weight. There is nothing that can heal me. Everything is offending me, right? It absolutely will do that. When Judy says, Hey guys, welcome back to my channel. You're like, Oh my gosh, I was mislabeled or whatever. You know, like she's, she's calling me a guy and like, I'm not, not addressing that because you're looking to be offended. You are looking for something to drive those emotions. And I think so many people are just want to feel something and rage is a very quick and easy thing to do. And so I think you have to check in with yourself and say like, what am I looking for? What am I projecting? Sorry. Right. And, but no, but that also comes um, to even the carnivore community when people or advocates are saying, if you just wait enough, you eventually your sugar addiction goes away. Or if you um, only eat certain meats, and even if you gain weight over time, it'll magically just go away and your appetite will re-regulate. And so when the average person tries carnivore and those things don't happen, we automatically think we are broken. And unless we challenge status quo of actually more people say that they don't get over their sugar addiction, even on a carnivore diet, then maybe we think we can normalize that and say, you know what, if I'm struggling still with sugar addiction on carnivore, maybe I need to get more help. Maybe I need to work with a therapist or an eating disorder dietitian and get more help because it's not going away. But when we say no, the norm is that everybody on carnivore gets over their sugar addiction I don't think that's true. And the the more and more people I work with, I don't think that's true. And again, if we don't challenge status quo and we're not disruptors and we don't share our own thoughts, we will never change status quo to improve our lives. And that's the ultimate goal of all of this. 
Yeah, absolutely. You'll think that, you know, you're the failure because I felt that for a long time. Like I was the failure. I just wasn't perfect carnivore enough. All my cravings didn't go away. I'm the, it's my fault. It's my fault. But where are these magical people? Like, that's what it kind of goes back to the pregnancy thing. Yeah. Like where are the magical people? Because guess what? The people that I encounter every day in real life and online don't exist, right? right? Nobody just wakes up one day and is like magically cured and healed forever. I've never met them. And so wherever they are with the pregnancy people, like they're just, it doesn't exist. And the normal understanding of the fact that like things might get better, things might improve. You're going to have more good days, but you might have days where you still struggle. Like that's a norm. Right. And let's start building some coping tools and some tools to help you avoid those temptations when they arise and don't just start sitting around waiting for them to magically go away forever. And that's that's the key thing, what you just brought up. When we accept status quo and acceptance of everything and inclusivity, we are destroying the ability to create tools. Like that's exactly what it is. That's exactly why I get upset about this because when my clients are telling me they're sick and they believe everything that's on the internet, they feel that they're hopeless. And the only thing I'm providing them is actually, maybe there are these tools that have been hidden that you have just not been aware of. Maybe you do need to get some trauma work done, or maybe you do need to do other stuff than just look at the internet, trying trying to find your answers for root cause. And light bulbs go in their head of, oh my gosh, that actually makes a little bit of sense. And I think that's why it's so dangerous to just accept status quo. I'd rather people say the word guys and offend people and hope that things can change. So maybe guys eventually does need to get eradicated, but let's come to a challenge and discussion about it. I mean, that's how science evolves. If I never brought up liver was bad, there would be no discussion and everyone still be gobbling down a bunch of liver. But right. with this discussion, now there's like an asterisk by it. Same thing with the fruits. We have well, how to- much backlash did you get about that, though? Everybody like tried to cancel you completely and shut you down. That's the problem with a lot of censorship is when we try to censor people that we disagree with, there is a lot of truth that is missed out on. And there are people who say really, really terrible things that I think are terrible things. Right but they're canceled off of Twitter and they're canceled out of mainstream. And the problem is, is that then you don't hear what they have to say. Obviously I have very strong opinions about the information that was censored over the last few years with COVID. And now come to find out people are realizing all of it was true. Right. right? And yet things that would have gotten you demonetized and kicked off of YouTube in 2020 and 2021 in 2023 are common uh, is common information and not even as controversial as, as COVID, but like that's, The problem is when we try so hard to live in this uh, silo that we're censoring all other information, we don't give ourselves the opportunity to grow and learn and develop. I might have still been sitting there banging my head against the wall, trying to stay 100% strict carnivore, never deviating, never having a seasoning, never having a Diet Coke, and failing and failing and failing because I was putting myself in this silo that that was the ideal way. That's what I had to do to be successful, but I couldn't do that. Right. Right. And I would have sat there, you know, convincing myself that I was a failure. And I probably would have long since given up on all of this because I couldn't do it. But in reality, I was able to add other, you know, figure out what works for me and find out where can I be flexible? Where can I not be? What works better? And now I'm learning and growing and who knows where I'm going to be six months from now, six years from now. And that's why I learn new things. Right. And that's why your voice is so important. When we are just dogmatic, it becomes so dangerous because then if anyone does not fit that bill, 
then they are essentially not part of the carnivore community or not part of the carnivore. They're not doing carnivore right. But that's that's where I decided as much as I am going against standard diets, way of nutrition in the carnivore community, I also became a disruptor too. Because when I saw my community, my clientele and my patients, I realized that a lot of the recommendations were wrong. You know, there's no one answer for everybody, like the lion diet or the beef, salt and water will work for some people for a short amount of time. But even Michaela agrees that no one should be doing that long term. And I just think that when we say no, that is the marker of health. And the person that people always recommend to me or say is, but what about Charlene Anderson? I'm sorry, she's not online all the time. So how do you know she's only this is me just being fully open. But how do you know she has only eaten ribeyes her whole life of the 30 years? Like, how do you have you guys seen her in real life? Have you been to her house? How do you really know that there are people that will say, um, so I think she suffered from Lyme disease. People say that she healed her Lyme with just beef. How do you know that? Because I have clients that are deathly ill with Lyme and SIRS, and they're not getting better with just carnivore. So are they doing it wrong? Are they not carnivoring harder? Have they not waited enough? So should they suffer for two, three years and just stay strict carnivore? Um, because eventually they'll be like Charlene Anderson and look like her and be all thin. Because I also have a story of Craig Emmerich, who did that with Lyme, did not get further testing. And three years in, now his neck is fully calcified and he can't even move it because he believed in the story of Charlene Anderson. So tell me which story is right or wrong. And this is well, now he's come out and trying to find the root cause healing for the first time, actually. Uh, and he's got a really, really, really long road of healing that ho- hopefully he can do ahead of him. But he now has at least identified the root cause. And he also knows that his health has gotten so bad that there may never because be because he stayed. She tried to be perfect carnivore. So right. it got worse. And because he thought the diet would fix him. Like he literally said that on my episode with him. And it's just now we don't know if certain health conditions he has will ever be reversible. And that's that's the thing about this whole like this whole example that we just brought up is the perfect example of why status quo has to be challenged. If it doesn't work for you, what whether it's diet, lifestyle, um, living in a certain area or being in a certain job, that doesn't mean that you are wrong. Obviously, be thoughtful in when you make those judgment calls. Maybe you work with the therapist to work things out. But you have to really consider, is it really you? Or is what you've learned and been told not actually relevant to your life? Yeah, that is interesting just with all things that are in terms of health. I don't know. This To me, this sound is related, but I mentioned... Like I intentionally mentioned that I go to the tanning bed sometimes, right? Just because I know it, I hope, hope I'm challenging people's idea of the status quo, right? I did a recent what I eat video. I didn't have to include a 30 second clip in there where I said, oh, I'm going to this tanning bed in the sauna for the evening. But I knew I was going to get 50 people or whatever <laughs> instantly who are like, oh my gosh, you go tanning. This is so bad for you. Uh, the outrage. First of all, the outrage comments in my algorithm doesn't hurt me. Let's be real. I knew what I was doing there. But also it sparked a lot of interesting conversations. Like I don't have to tell people that I go tanning. First of all, there's a lot of things that people do that you don't, they don't have to share online, right? right? Or that you have, I don't know, sidetracked to say when you mentioned like, do people, Charlene's not online. Well, guess what? Even if she was online every day, you still don't know what happens behind closed doors. Like there's so much 
And now with these AI filters, like some of y'all look like cartoons and like I've met some people <laughs> in real life. You do not look like you do online. This is why total, again, separate side note. This is why I can't use filters because I have to look at myself in the mirror. And if I use those filters all day long and stared at myself online, looking flawless, and those things like change the shape of your face, you look so different. If I stared at myself like that online, and then I had to go in real life and look at myself in the mirror, I would feel like a terrible person. Like I, my, it would kill my self-esteem to think that I have to hide because I'm not good enough and I have to hide behind this thing. Like this is another thing. I intentionally come on sometimes with a zip patch on or like no makeup or with makeup because I'm a real person who looks different in a lot of different situations. And I have to live with myself when I'm looking like a hot mess and I can't, I could, it would kill my self-esteem to use filters anyway. No, I think that's good. No, no, I think that's super good. It's, it just makes me think. So I use a small filter on zoom for my interviews and then my parents saw one video and they're like, Whoa, your face looks so clean. (laughs) And then I said, yeah, there's a slight filter on. So, you know, it just kind of brushes any blemishes. And so I always, I, I was talking to one of the people I interviewed with and she said, your skin is so flawless. And I do have decent skin, but I said, oh no, I have like brown spots and um, you just can't see it as well. But yes, I think the, but that is the, or the most I will use filters because I agree with you when I have a kind of a big face cause I'm Asian, right? And when, in my younger years, if there was a filter that would help my face look so small, I probably would have used it, right? Because that at that point, I was so insecure of my face size. I would put my hair in my face to just cover it. And I can't imagine young adolescents that are going through puberty and so insecure of their already growing bodies to then have these things morph and say, you can look like this and look how better you look. And then the accolades you get from all the comments when you post those things, man, oh, that yeah. will destroy somebody's well especially the the new tiktok ones are like you can have your hair in front of your face you can rub they like put makeup on you you could like rub your face and it doesn't break like it looks so crazy it's like insane anyway i forget where i was going from before all that but comments oh the sun thing okay yeah okay okay so that was a long way and a roundabout way and i couldn't remember where i started but the tanning thing that's why i casually mention regularly that I go tanning only to say to people, and it's interesting in this health space, like we believe red meat is not bad for us. We believe we need the sun. We believe that, you know, seed oils are not good for you. And like, we're coming around with all of these different things, right? You can, people are getting red pilled on a lot of different things, but all of a sudden they hear tanning bed and it's like, that's terrible. That's cancer. You're going to die, blah, blah, blah. And they like instantly freak out rather than saying, Hey, wait, I wonder why she's doing that. I wonder if there's a reason. I wonder if there's any benefits. Let me have an open mind about learning about this versus nope, cancel. You're like, this is terrible for you. If people are, this is why I think people get so obsessed with this, not one drop of seed oils, or they just believe something and then they instantly shut down anything that they think is not accurate. And so I try to hopefully... Like I'm a healthy person. I look healthy. I focus on eating healthy and all these different things. But yet she uses the tanning bed. Hmm. Is it really that she's just that stupid? Or is it maybe that I need to be open-minded? Maybe I should look into this a little more. Like I'm trying to intentionally spark that within people. Um, But I will say most people just get like mad and try to cancel me about it. Yeah. I was going to say based on the way society is going, most people will never think 
Well, Laura gets me. She's lived a healthy life and she's changed a lot of things radically. But oh, when it comes to the sun thing, she just or the the tanning bed, she just doesn't know, and I have to correct her. I mean, it's just like that's the logic, and I get it. That's like the fastest, quickest thing to think. And and I get it. Like I've been part of the wellness space, and I'm relatively new to it. And when I first started, Kevin used to always say, "The way that you are scared of everything, you will have to live in a bubble." And right. and over the years, I've broke. It's my every single dogma has been broken. Whether it's seed oils, whether it's grass finished, whether it's you know what whatever the other things are. And he's finally one time he clapped at me and literally said, "I don't even know if I use that terminology right." He clapped. With me, and there you go. <laughs> Clapped at you would be like scolding you. Okay, okay, like that's what I figured. You. I, I, I'm not cool. So, so the, so anyways, he clapped with me and said, "I'm proud of you. You're getting out of your dogma. You were so we can't go to this restaurant. We can't eat here. We can't use plastic. You can't use the straws." And I still get it. So I will occasionally purposely share things that I know people are going to get mad that I shared McDonald's and my kids and I should get reported to child services for having them eat meat from a fast food restaurant that uses seed oils. And oh my gosh, now he's using a straw that's plastic or, or packaged or jerky. The, that's not, the jerky is where I know you get it. Like if you show yes. like a Jack's Link's jerky, cause it was on sale or something, people yeah. lose their minds. Yeah. Because there's a little bit of soy. Well, we're not sensitive to soy. Maybe it's because we're Asian and there's soy sauce. I'm going to totally be weirdly <laughs> controversial in this one. But if most of what we do in our life, our lifestyle and diet is clean. Give our bodies some grace and our bodies have resiliency, right? All the decades of eating bad during those times, we were okay with just eating crappy stuff, but now we're not okay. If we have a drop of seed oil or if there's a little bit of food diet, I mean, I am not really for food diet myself, but I mean, occasionally if the kids are eating a cupcake and there's food diet, I will try to say go with the one that has no food diet, but it's not the end of the world. I mean, they're not having hyperactivity after they eat it. We are a society where we get so overly emphatic in situations that don't make sense to be. And I see it in the, that's why the word toxic, I see that. It's not the word toxic that bothers me, but it's really like, really Caleb and Aiden, was that really toxic, right? So it's that overzealous, yes. Heightened reactions to everything. And I just think we need to be thoughtful of what we accept and what we close our mouths on because we're afraid that we won't be accepted or the opposite of that will show ignorance. But I just wanted to end this conversation with some of the statistics, right? Regardless of our opinions, or you could say we are, um, we're ignorant or we're dogmatic or we're one side of the political stance. Like I literally listen to zero politics. So whatever politics you think I stand on. I don't even know what either. And you can call me ignorant for that because that is probably true. But Well, I listen to a lot of <laughs> politics and it's not any of what you think it is. Okay. okay? okay. So, so there, there you go. go. There you go. So, um, and I'll give all the sources of this. I actually shared this in my newsletter, but 60% of millennials that make over six figures live paycheck to paycheck, meaning that are you trying to chase a materialistic thing to feel valid or worthy or something? And that's just something to consider. Over 50% of millennials, Generation Z and X live paycheck to paycheck. Millennials aged 34 to 36 in 2017 were 11% less healthy than Generation Xers aged 30 to 36 in 2014. Millennials have had double-digit diagnosis, an increase for eight of the top 10 health concerns or conditions. 
Millennials are often more affected by behavioral health conditions than physical, with the highest increases shown in rates of major depression and hyperactivity. And millennials are diagnosed with anxiety more than any other generation and also medicated. If you are saying what I'm saying is incorrect, and let's just follow status quo, well, this is where our generations are going. And to be honest, this is me as a mom, not as nutrition with Judy. I don't want my kids to fit into those statistics. So I will do and say things that are offensive and say that we are all guys and talk about Asians in maybe a racist way. I don't even know what I say to offend people now, but I refuse to let my kids be part of the statistics that they will be depressed on anxiety meds when I will do everything in my might to change their behavior and let them see what their current state is and see what they can do to improve it because that is all what status quo does not allow. When you accept status quo, that means there's no more fighting. You don't need to change anything because there's really not much else that you can do. But I refuse to accept that. And so if I upset a few people to take a stand where maybe other people are a little bit more scared to bring it up, then I'm going to do that. And if people feel super offended by me, then sorry, maybe I'm not the right person to be listening to and go listen to people that are more status quo. And I I do not believe obesity is a genetic thing. I think it's more based on when you live in a a family that is obese, you're going to learn their eating habits and their lifestyle. And that is likely what is coping tools, right? And the coping tools, exactly. And that's what you're learning more than it's the genetics that has made you obese. Do you know what's interesting too is that the young generation today doesn't struggle with eating disorders like the previous one did. There's other trends now, right? There's new trends, things girls before it was the eating disorders in your generation, my generation, you know, it was eating disorders and self-harm. And now there's, you know, a lot of the gender stuff that's not to just totally end on a total controversial note, but like, that's where the trends are of how people are finding and gaining acceptance. And like, People are lost and kids, as we get raised, it's a really hard time and thing to be raised as a kid. And we're, you know, mental health is a really hard thing to get a grasp on. And, you know, we, there's definitely different trends that we see in society on how people are coping with pain. Uh, And food is a big one, right? And just to kind of say too, like the last thing that I am worried about is my kids like fitting into society. Like I'm not definitely not raising them to be people who fit in. Right. And then the goal should be that we should fit, have more people be more open to the way that we are. Right. So maybe selfishly, I want more people to come to this side of where whatever side we're on so that my kids won't be as lonely when I'm dead and gone. If my kids are the only ones searching for food and eating meat because everyone else is against it. Like that's such a sad place to live. There was a study. It's like the longest longitudinal um, running study. And they shared that with people, I think John F. Kennedy was part of the study. And there was also people that are just from the inner city. I don't even know if that's correct to say, but whatever, they were less wealthy. And Of all the people they studied, the only thing that made people healthier, live longer, and happier, and obviously diet probably has something to do with it, but it was how much connection they had. And one of the questions Mm. they asked is, in the middle of the night, who or how many people can you contact because you are sick and you need help? And there were some people that said zero, even though they were married. And it just makes you think, There's more to life than just being angry about all these different things. We are not, it's not the seed oils that are going to make you live long. You could get run outside and get hit by a bus, 
So you have to figure out what level of happiness are you searching for? And in the last two, three years, what they've really done is isolated us from all different people. Our communities have been broken. But if that's the one thing they have proven, and this was a Harvard study, if this is the one thing that they've proven has brings happiness and longevity to people, that is the one thing they are trying to destroy is this community-oriented society. Yep. I know this was a tough conversation, but I hope it's just something that you'll be, you might get mad at first, but I hope you can just consider where our intentions are coming from with this discussion. Yeah. Thanks guys. Thanks for tuning in to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to share and leave us a review and leave any comments and questions on Apple Podcasts. We will read and answer your questions and comments on an upcoming podcast episode. This also helps us to share our real talk with more community members. You can also find me on my other podcast, Nutrition with Judy, on all podcast channels. You can also follow my content on Nutrition with Judy's Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. You can find Carnivore Cure in paperback, ebook, and audio on Amazon. I also have a blog post and weekly newsletter with nutrition and wellness updates. You can sign up at nutritionwithjudy.com. You can find Laura on Instagram at Laura East Bath. You can follow along on her daily stories and see some of her funny skits. You can also find Laura on her YouTube channel where she shares tips on living a meat-based lifestyle. If you're wondering how much meat to eat in a day, week, or month, Laura has you covered. She also shares how to make a perfect sear on a steak and how extended fasting looks like in real life. You can find her YouTube channel by searching Laura's Bath. Thanks again for listening to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. And remember, make sure to cut against the grain.